it's <laughs> yeah, it'll be Bible, 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 Bible Bud. Yeah, Bible, Bible Bud. Bible Bud. No one wants that. Um, yeah, cool. I think we're... Great. It's happening. Yay. Excellent. Everybody can hear nice and well. Great. I can hear you. Great. Wonderful. Well, Liz. Is this too far? Welcome... Daniel, can we try, <laughs> try to get it together over there? We're trying to start a program. Okay, do a proper intro. Okay, Liv, welcome. Introduce to our the show. Um, for those of you who have not had the the pleasure of meeting the ray of sunshine that is Olivia Ashton, mm. she is my friend and roommate. Um, fun fact: I feel like I'm just going to throw this in up top. You've had to know I was going to bring this up, but um, when there is worship music being played in this house, <laughs> it is coming from Olivia's room. I'll just be upstairs and I just hear like a, in his name we're, we are holy. Dude, she was Christ saying, Redeemer. <laughs> this was like three minutes my ago. true God. Like, and it just, it's, but yeah, she's belting along, really feeling it. Sobbing. Just love, you just love Sobbing. it. Sobbing. It's, a, it's emotional real. music. You're an emotional person and it speaks to you. Um, yeah, but... Yeah, Liv is Liv is the best. How are you doing today, Liv? Oh, I'm doing so good. That's yeah, great. happy to be here with you guys. We're excited to have you. Yeah. I think you you nailed it, Andrew. A ray a ray of sunshine. <laughs> this woman is. Thank you guys. Yeah. Yeah, the the worship music really that's something that I actually have been so connected to like my entire life, and I think it comes from I think first hearing for the first time hearing someone sing to God, like, Mm -hmm. and have that be the center of a song just like spoke to my heart. And then also having beautiful melodies that I can belt along to, but yeah, yeah, not being a catchy melody. I love a catchy melody. Um, But you didn't grow up like going to church, did you? No, what? not at all. I can't imagine you that just Jeff- love worship music. Yeah, can't imagine oh, yeah. that Jeffrey Ashton was ever much of a churchgoer in his adult years. No, um, I mean a church of sorts, but not a Christian church. And then your mom is a. How long has your mom been a practicing Buddhist? I probably around fifteen years. Okay. Yeah, we didn't grow up with any religion in the house, and I didn't. I don't proclaim to be any as well, and if anything, align the most with Buddhism as well. But. um yeah, there's something there's something about Christian worship music. I love Jesus. Right. I like have an intimate connection and relationship with. Yes, yeah, we we all different. have that in common. We get down with Jewish black Jesus. Absolutely, you know the He's teachings the of Christ. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Um, nice. So when like, how do you get exposed to the to the worship music? I was being well, an American. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, but right. like I have plenty of friends that don't yeah, yeah. couldn't sing a worship tune with me. For sure, for sure. Yeah, growing up I did go to like a couple different Christian camps. Um and yeah, there was just always I had my little like tendrils out like always intrigued and thinking about God, thinking about creation from mm-hmm. a young age and that like you said we're in America that's kind of the thing that's right in front of you first right. so I was like oh okay this is a path in and if then you seem spiritually open and you're not a Christian and you live in America 
Some other little Christian is going to be like, hey, come, come to Jesus. Come camp. get you. Yeah, I came to Jesus camp. I came to Jesus. I, yeah. And then I would come home and it wouldn't stick. Right. Um, right. And then, yeah. Yeah. There's that really um, powerful feeling being like with a bunch of other kids or high schoolers or whatever at like a summer camp or winter mm-hmm. camp or something. And everybody's like worshiping together and like the talks and the small groups like it feels right then mm-hmm. you know you're like oh i'm a part of something bigger than me and then you go home and you're like hmm i don't feel it anymore <laughs> yeah i think because we are we are collectively touching upon something and For it, sure. it is a yeah a moment of that and there's the opening where we're collectively we're we're tuned in but then the the receiver always felt a little off and then mm-hmm. i when i was back home i it, it, yeah it felt like it was um picking up different channels <laughs> For sure. I just think it's such a like, it's such a concentrated dose that you're getting. It's how it's, it's by design. Exactly. They design it that way to try to basically trick as many kids into giving their heart over to Jesus as possible. (laughs) (laughs) And I say trick, uh, I mean it. Yeah. I I mean it. I don't think, I think the intentions are, are somewhat good, but like mostly they know what they're doing. Yeah. And I really like, I love my mom so much. She prepped me for because she yeah she was a little concerned as I would go in because she knows this as well and she kind of prepped my experience yeah. going in so I had these things in mind do you remember what her sort of prep was I mean I can sort of imagine it but you know I can't remember verbatim but I just remember I remember having talks with her when we got back to about like what what touched you about that experience what was it you know mm-hmm. Just kind of, she was trying to glean, like, what what was the heart of it? And then also sharing, I think, a little bit that um, there, that there is manipulation or they wanted specific, mm. they wanted a specific outcome in some right. way. Yes. I can't remember. I just, it's more of a feeling that I remember her kind of, like, prepping and then... Um, and then always letting me explore in my own way. Yeah, which I that's great. Appreciate so I do deeply. think that that's cool, though, to... I mean... I remember being a camp counselor even when I was in high school and like, yeah, that was at the end of the day, I was always pinpointing a couple kids that I knew I could connect with who weren't Christians Mm. and they usually like, you know, were pretty cool and had no, like, they might've been like sort of interested in God and spiritual, but they were just like, I don't, I don't do religion, Mm. even though I'm 13, like they're just, they were that kind of kid, you know? And looking back, it's so interesting that I was just like, but the whole, my whole job here is to like, get you on to the team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to, we got to recruit. Um, and I think it's, I think it's sad because I mean, I was also trying to just, I was a believer in like, let's just create a space for people to like have experiences and to connect with other people and like, yeah, to like have hearts connect. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. That's where God lives. But the system itself just feels like that's sort of what you're like trained to do as a camp counselor is like make sure you're having these conversations with your campers if you can tell that they have not accepted Jesus into their heart yet. Mm. Um, oh, and you have some like some tactics to yeah reel these you're like these hey kids Grayson, um, hey man, you want to you want to go for a walk later? Just want to let's just catch up, man. It's all good. It'll be cool. Maybe we could hit the skate park afterwards. We'll go paintballing. You know? Yeah. And yeah. after that, we can both accept Jesus Christ into our little hearts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it's nice that your your mom, like, 
kind of decompress that situation with you too, like prior and after just mm-hmm. to like make sure that you weren't maybe being misled or like being forced to try to feel something or like they were trying to, you know, get, get you in touch with something that you weren't feeling or something. Right. Yeah. I remember a specific, it's so interesting cause it's at the, the, the young life camp that I went to is at the same, um, on the same land that the Rajneeshis. Oh, really? Oh, at, yeah. Yeah. So it's a really charged piece of property. <laughs> For yeah. sure. And yeah, just feeling, you know, there were moments where we're all together and they're like, okay, if you've, if you've accepted Jesus into your heart, stand in this like kind of feeling of peer pressure too, as you look yeah, around. By design. Yeah. And being <laughs> that like, is by design. And yeah. So like we, I remember specifically talking to her about that experience too. Of like, what does, you know, how did that feel? And, um, did you stand up? Did you want to? Did you feel like you had to? So it was interesting, like, you know, that also felt like a narrative that I got to work with, you know, that's a through line through lots of different things in life too, is like a, a pivotal conversation of feeling peer pressure, feeling, um, yeah, like you want, you're wanting to conform with a group and then the, you know, the internal work that goes on in, as a little kid right. kind of looking around and wanting to be a part of something, but not quite feeling it yet, but feeling something and like deciphering those kind mm. of nuanced feelings. For sure. It's a tough situation. That whole thing is very weird just to it like is. not, I don't know. Cause I'd imagine a lot of it has to be performative for some of the people that aren't feeling it. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, just to maybe have some emptiness in you if you're not feeling that mm. and that pressure that comes from that. I think we talked about that with Steven a little bit, mm-hmm. how I just kind of appreciated the the Jewish, you know, the ideas of it just being like a more personal thing and not being a performative thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, not feeling necessarily so absolute. You know, yeah. there's something about specifically that pitch that you get as a kid of like accept Jesus into your heart so that you can be saved forever or whatever. And it just feels like, yeah, it feels like a very absolute thing. And so then that can be maybe a little bit disorienting when you get home and you're like, so I'm like in a relationship with this, with God now? Like, whoa, (laughs) I don't know. It's just, it's just weird. It's the whole thing's just weird. Yeah. I don't know. The first time I, I, that stuff like really maybe turned me off was seeing that that Jesus camp documentary. I don't know if mm-hmm. either of you have seen that. I don't think you saw that. It came out in the early 2000s. Yeah, I saw it when it first came out. And I, that was at a phase when I was like really like buck Christianity, like hard, capital F. So I was like, yeah, I was like probably touching myself to that documentary being like, <laughs> yeah, fucking stupid fucking religion. Ugh. Yeah, I just remember there's one moment where one of the kids is crying because they feel bad because they're not experiencing Mm. this connection with Jesus. And you're talking about like an eight year old kid who's completely distraught over this thing that they should not be. Right. I think that's what I'm trying to point out is that like, it feels very, it's feels very like we're going to like shepherd these people into, into this very narrow path. And it's like, it's not a fit for everybody. It might be a fit for some people, but like, some others need to experience whatever that is like in a different way. They need to come to it in a different way. Even Jesus talks about that. So, um, yeah. Anyways. So, so you, you go to some young life camps, 
You have some. You have some Jesus experiences. This this podcast is sponsored by Young Life. <laughs> yeah. By the way, we appreciate their support. Yeah, we do. Uh, I wish they would, you know, pump the brakes a little bit, maybe attenuate, but you know, they're doing, they're doing what they're doing, and and that's fine. Um, but yeah, you you do that, like, then what? Like, does your where does your how does your spiritual journey evolve? Do you have like moments in your youth, like high school or college, where you're sort of just like not really doing anything, or do you always feel like you're sort of like open and, and exploring different spiritual things in life. Yeah, I would say from like most of high school and most of college, I wasn't deeply exploring spirituality. I was connecting with friends. I was mm-hmm. playing sports um, and, you know, oftentimes stopping myself in a mirror like I remember specifically at like college parties being like drunk in the bathroom and like both of my hands on the mirror looking myself in the eye being like who am I like (laughs) (laughs) everyone else is like raging and just like being in the bathroom like looking like eye gazing with myself being like what is this like Jen like what is this Hmm. um so I think those are kind of the some of the first like really clear that was like towards the end of college of being like like a, a hunger of like, what the fuck is this? Like, what are we right. doing here? And there and has fe- to be more than just like ns, 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 and getting drunk with friends. There <laughs> has to be more. <laughs> and not even that, but just like, just this. I just this like washing, like this feeling that would come over me of of like peer presence, and then like conf- like confusion mixed with awe is kind of how I remember the first like real openings into what I see of just like experiencing reality directly. Oh, so not like a, what is this in terms of like, why am I at this party getting drunk, but more like a, what did I just tap into for a second? Like, who is that looking back at me in the mirror? Mm, Like, mm -hmm. what are we like, what, yeah, what is this? What is this experience? Who is like, who are you? What, who am I? And specifically mirrors are very important to me. Cause I feel like, um, yeah, gazing into the depths of my own eyes. Um, that's a, a, a deep practice that I've hold, held for a long time hmm. that like, um, it feels like I'm just peeking into the other side of the void or like, and beneath the, you know, peeling back the veil and looking through and seeing pure emptiness and also seeing all of creation. And so having those moments, especially in like a completely incongruent uh, atmosphere, like a party, I think really started, it felt like something was knocking. Sure. And then, yeah. Um, yeah. And then right at that time, met one of my dearest best friends and then started also experience, experimenting a little bit with psychedelics. And so that all kind of came together at the same time. Meditation came together, psychedelics, and then this like um, opening. It just felt like an opening into mm-hmm. more of the reality that I'm living currently. Sure. Psilocybin is also one of our sponsors. Yeah. So <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah. You have some sweet sponsors. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Young Life and Psilocybin are her too. I just like how you just, there's, it's just a general brand. Psilocybin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So like at what point do you sort of discover 
like Ramdas and start exploring mm-hmm. that realm of of spirituality and mysticism or whatever. Yeah, that came through right at the end of college, but specifically um, right after graduating, I would just. So I'm a photographer and spend hours and hours editing. So I would just turn on his lectures. Mm-hmm. So I probably, you know, just listened to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours. I felt like ins- an insatiable um, need and desire to just like let his teachings wash in. It felt like um, just the truth. Mm-hmm. But yeah, very heard and seen. <clears throat> um, so yeah, towards the end of college, there was like... The end of the Mayan calendar, 2012, was a felt to me like a distinct uh, like shift. There was kind of like before that year mm-hmm. for me, and then after, and that was leading. Um, so right around 2012 is when I really okay. dove into his teachings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was there anything like significant that happened in that time, where you feel like brought on that shift, or was it just? kind of everything coming together and diving deep into the teachings and experimenting with the psychedelics a little bit. And yeah, it, it, I think it was just grace. I just started to wake up then. And it's, I think that's the beauty and the, yeah, the beauty of this mystery that we're living is we don't, it doesn't even have to be a thing. It wasn't like no concrete moment, but then all of a sudden things were different. And Mm -hmm. I think what also, the beauty and the grace of depression and sadness and not knowing and being confused, which is also what I was experiencing a lot of in those years. Um, along with that comes if we're able to like in like deep internal inquiry and Mm. looking and, um, kind of digging around in the depths and the, the muck. So I, I attribute feeling really sad and really lost to, to, my eyes being opened more and more. It can be pretty tough to genuinely address your shadow if you're just like super, super happy and stoked all the time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's just not, even if you are like, no, I want to, I want to like see these like darker sides of me, the muck as you described, as you described it, like it's just hard. It's hard to see it when you have a super rosy lens. Right. So... Yeah, I agree that there's some utility in in the sadder moments of life. And I think oftentimes, like, people talk about, you know, you're talking about how, like, it doesn't necessarily have to come from something. But, like, death can be very profound for people mm-hmm. where it just, like, is an instant way to sort of snap things to perspective. And in, in their sadness and grief, they're able to sort of reevaluate a lot of things in their life and do a lot of that self-inquiry. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think some of my own anxiety around those things was just kind of realizing, too, that not everything was what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And even experiencing that anxiety of like, whoa, this is a whole different thing than I ever thought it was. And now my foundation is completely shattered. Yes. And even, yeah, I don't know if if either of you experience this at all, but I don't know, you kind of always have this internal voice and this internal dialogue with yourself, I guess, and and hear that voice. But I think there there was like a very striking moment for me mm. where I heard that voice speaking to me in a grocery store one day and I was just like, what the fuck is like, 
what is that? Like, what is the internal voice that is speaking to me? And like, where is that coming from? And I think it, it was like a very scary moment for a little bit. And then just realizing like, I don't know, man, maybe that's like the God voice or, you know, the internal shadow just, just speaking to you. And maybe it's okay to lean into that and not be afraid of it. Mm. What, what grocery store? <laughs> I'm, I'm for real. I have was, some of my most profound spiritual th- moments in grocery stores. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was at a QFC yes. in uh, the Brooklyn neighborhood <laughs> of Portland, Oregon. And I thought I was going to, I went in to just grab some food on the way home. It was a late night. And as soon as I got in there, I don't know if there was just, there was too much, too much going on, but it got overwhelming very quickly and all of a sudden I'm, I'm like having this, uh, this internal dialogue with myself mm-hmm. and questioning everything. And I'm just like, I don't even know if I can buy the food I came in to get here with. We're dealing with a much larger issue now. <laughs> and it's not about the food. It's about like, who is this person inside that is, mm-hmm. that is speaking mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. for sure. Lived, I believe QFC would be the grocery store that you grew up the closest to. Am I correct? Fred Meyer and QFC. Yes, yeah. those are two. Absolutely. Walking down aisles of grocery stores is another, besides mirror gazing, for some reason, in, I don't know if it's the fluorescent lights, but it's yeah. another place that I'm like, I have these, like, it feels like time and space, like, slow down, and there's bizarre clarity there yeah. so i don't know even through like the overstimulation <laughs> of all these items I on the shelves and it. whatnot yeah yeah huh. interesting i remember going to uh to a mall one time within 24 hours of doing a pretty heavy dose of mushrooms out in the forest and that being very uncomfortable and just like not being able i'm like i'm not ready to process (laughs) all of this yeah like i was just in the woods yesterday wondering what my being is and now Now i'm I'm surrounded the the shrine of capitalism yeah for sure um what do you feel like are some of the some of your key takeaways or truths or things that you've learned from from Ramdas in particular. Yeah, I I think he really really opened me up to uh looking at death right square in the eye and being incredibly curious about it and um yeah, it it felt like his teachings on death the way, and the way that he spoke about death felt like they rounded out my life in a way that I was so hungry for. Like we're of course, in love with babies and new life and um, youth and this beautiful kind of upswing. But then mm-hmm. he opened my eyes to the the beauty of the downswing and the mystery of that moment leading into whatever's next. And really, I think it touched my heart because I also <clears throat> throughout my life have experienced and do experience like suicidality. So and really not understanding that. So he, his teachings on death or just the way that he spoke about it helped me be able to sit with death in a whole new way, sit with my own, of course, impending death. And then also these thoughts around wanting to end, a, end my life. I don't, but I have these thoughts at times. Mm-hmm. And so, and before I just like, that was too scary. I couldn't look at it. That was shameful. I had to, you know, set that down and it really allowed me to go in there and like 
look and see what is it teaching me? How can I, can I hold all of this? Can I hold life and death? Can I hold my own desire to, for life and death Mm. simultaneously? Mm -hmm. So I think that was, I'm forever feel indebted or grateful, just infinitely grateful for that because it's helped me um, just live with my experience of, of um, yeah, deep interest and deep kind of battling back and forth with sure. life and death. Yeah, I know you and I have had conversations before in the past about how like if we were, you know, diagnosed with something terminal or something like that, there would be this sort of like some level of excitement mm-hmm. to be like, what is on the other side? Like I'm about to find out or I'm not, if there's nothing, I don't know, but like it is, yeah, it's the, it's the greatest mystery. So I'm, I would be like a part of me would be like, Oh, it's pretty exciting that like, I'm going to get to do that now. Like I'm going to get to pass through that veil. I heard someone on a podcast recently say that, um, they were, they were in the room with someone when they died and they, they felt this like really specific energy and they were trying to place it and they realized it was the exact same energy that was in the room when they had given birth. Beautiful. Yeah. And I thought that that was super interesting. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, led me to work with sitting with people while they're dying. And I completely agree. There is a, um, there's just like a raw truth and it mm-hmm. feels like you're just, yeah, you're just sitting with being to being as we always are. But there's um, like the bullshit meter is completely gone. Mm-hmm. It's just like being in pure mm-hmm. presence. And um, yeah, just really appreciating the, the beauty of both sides mm-hmm. of the spectrum of, of life. Yeah. Especially when you get to see somebody that's been experiencing pain for so long and yeah. finally seeing them set free from that is uh i don't know i think that's given me great comfort around other people's death mm. my own death i'm not i'm not ready to uh <laughs> i'm gonna do yeah. another round of psilocybin there. i guess so i guess <laughs> so. Plug for our sponsor. Um, that, that's one more like every time i think about that i'm just like i don't know man i'm not ready yet like i'm not ready to go well, or I don't think I'm ready to go. It's funny that you said that. You, I know what you're referring to. Obviously, when you say like it's it's great when someone is released from their pain because maybe they're suffering from like a really horrible, you know, terminal disease or whatever. But there's, I think it's a Buddhist notion. Maybe you know who said this. A Buddhist teacher might have been Ramdas that said like dying is like taking off a tight shoe mm-hmm. because life is painful. So everybody is sort of like gonna get a <laughs> when they die gets a break from that. You know. Yeah, that was. Um Emmanuel, who is channeled through Pat Rodegast, which okay. is Calvin's grandmother. Really? Yeah. Calvin's grandmother, <laughs> for those who don't know Calvin and Slip's boyfriend, is a channeler? Yeah, she was. She's, wow. she's since passed on, but yeah. It's not a beautiful connection to That's yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. Wild. Um, yeah. Yeah, just some sense that somebody's finally going to get some, some rest, mm-hmm. some sleep. Yeah. Some good old sleep after <laughs> for sure. The long... They're working hard here. And I think, yeah, that's, that's also, I think what led me to Buddhism and meditation specifically is knowing that that feeling of rest and that feeling of, um, taking off a tight shoe is also available for us here. Like mm-hmm. there is, there is, um, what I've seen through, um, 
wanting to not be on this physical plane is that I, I want what I actually want is to be here, but to be here and be free and to feel right. connected and, um, to be able to be in my own experience, be in my mind in a loving way, in a way that feels kind and, um, clear. So how, how that's my life's work now is like, how do I be intimate with this experience of being alive? How do I make it, um, fun <laughs> yeah and i think that that spiritual notion of like um dying before you die exactly so that one you can sort of release the grip that death has on your life from a fear perspective but also so that you can yeah experience i guess what it means to like truly be alive yes so which i guess is also like what a lot of people get out of those terminal illness uh prognosis it seems like mm. for like sure those people that you know are super stressed out and then they get that that death sentence and they like turn their life around and go after everything and then all of a sudden they're in great health right right, right. yeah or they died but they died you know in their last amount of time that they had since they got the diagnosis they were free and alive and full of love and joy that's a super common story for mm-hmm. sure did the meditation stuff lock in for you pretty quickly like once you started exploring that? Or did it take you a while for it to feel like you were doing some real work? Yeah, I think it was a slow burn at the beginning for sure. Especially as at the beginning it was just, it, my mind was so active that it was it took a lot to get me to actually sit down and do it and not be like, nah, flip the table. Um, but I knew, I knew immediately that there was something there in, in the quieting the mind, in the sitting still, in, in looking. Um, and then I would say in the past like five years, it was really after doing the like longer silent retreats and really immersing myself in myself. <laughs> um, and that it really started to open up. Um, and then, yeah, living at the monastery, I think last year was just kind of like the, the nail in the coffin of like, oh, this is... Um, you can actually, you can actually live in a state of meditation. Mm-hmm. This, this isn't something that you go and do. This isn't something you have to go anywhere. This isn't this. Fr- yeah, yeah. This is a way of being. It's, it's in the Bible. It's in the, it's in the good word about living on that, on that higher plane. I can't, I can't give you direct quotes, but we've talked about like that. That's in there somewhere that, that we've touched <laughs> upon as, as far as like living on this like being on this different level and mm-hmm. being able to connect with people sure through that. Well, yeah, I think that it's interesting that like Western society and America in particular has taken this really keen interest in meditation that I feel like has really ramped in the last five or 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, almost like it's, there's like a couple angles. There's the spiritual side, but it's also been sort of co-opted by like, like a Sam Harris who, has pretty much divorced it from spirituality completely, but still has a pretty strong understanding of like the benefits of meditation in terms of just uh, like neurologically and yeah, the importance of sort of like uh, mindfulness mm-hmm. and the practice of mindfulness in your life and how that has huge benefits in terms of like stopping some of the bullshit thoughts that we ultimately can't control when they come up, but we can control the way that we respond to them. And mindfulness is like a huge piece of that. Um, But I think that like 
what the sort of Silicon Valley, like bro life hack movement behind meditation misses is that they make it sort of feel like it's an addition, Mm -hmm. you know, it's something else that you have to do. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but meditation is really about what we've been talking about. Like it's, it's the practice of clearing your room. Right. Like that's, we, we started talking about that mostly because like I heard Eckhart Tolle talking about that when I was having my dark night of the soul at, um, Southwestern. And that was one of the things that triggered it is he was sort of like, you know, we think of ourselves as all the things that are in our room, but really are, we're just the space of the room. Mm -hmm. So when you start removing all of these pieces of your identity, all of these fixtures that you think are the room and you just become the space, like then what? Mm -hmm. And that really tripped me out because I was like, made me realize that I'm holding on to aspects of my identity, like very, very tightly. Um, and I really don't want to let them go. And it's really scary. So, was, you know, I have a lot of work to do around that. But um, yeah, like I feel like that's something that the more more spiritual side of meditation or I guess like the, the practice of meditation that is more like rooted in Buddhism or something seems to understand a little bit more. I don't know. I'm curious what your thoughts are on like sort of the. Yes, yeah, sort of the version of meditation that is divorced from spirituality and it's just sort of focused on like, you know, hack your mind. Like, right, right. Yeah, it's there's an interesting like that kind of flavor is like the the fruit is to make you more productive. Yes, exactly, exactly. Instead of make you free, uh. or, and so that that's where it, I think any type of quieting your mind is beautiful. Like how, whatever pathway people can like, if they, if they need the pathway of being more productive, I still think that they're, you're going to learn something about yourself by sitting Mm -hmm. and watching your breath by sitting and quieting. But, um, yeah, there's to, to, to your point of kind of the Silicon Valley bro energy of it. The point isn't really to get anywhere. It's to be where you already are. Right. So, which yeah. is like, that's, I feel like the great relief of it and the like confusion to the mind, the mind wants to like, you know, grasp and, and see logical steps and, um, yeah, wants kind of an outcome or a. Right. I think that's why meditation as a practice can be very tricky for people <laughs> because yeah, they feel like I thought I was going to get somewhere with this. And yeah. it's like, no, that's not. You're going to find yourself right right back exactly where right. you are. Right. Which is where you're supposed <laughs> yeah. to be. And the only place you can. Yeah. I know for me, like, I, you know, I like sort of, I like traditional meditation. It can be challenging for me. It, it definitely ebbs and flows in my life. But um, I do try to find time to like be deeply present and still, even if it's just like, washing the dishes mm-hmm. and I just be like, I'm washing this cup. I'm washing this cup. This cup is what I'm washing. I'm washing it. It's uh, a cup. Yeah. I mean, that's a big part of, uh, the power of now. It's right. like those early stages of it is like, just pay attention to your hands while you're washing them. Mm-hmm. Like really pay attention to those things or just putting one foot in front of the other while you're walking and i can't tell you how many times that has been like helpful to me while i'm having some sort of like anxiety crisis or something yes. where i'm just like all right let's just focus on the walking yes. let's focus on the breathing this is gonna be fine we're gonna get to the other side of this 
or this book is a lie. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think, yeah, I think all of the most profound teachings lead us right back to the most simple things Mm -hmm. like, like washing dishes, like breathing, like feeling our hands as we're sitting here, like, you know, observing one foot in front of the other. That is, I feel like one of the most profound, if you can live right there, which is fully embodied in the exact experience that you're having like that's I think that if there was a goal to to my practice is to be fully embodied exactly Mm. where I am in each unfolding moment because it's all new it's all unique it's um yeah this one's never ever happened before so to actually be in a, a state where I can be present for it I'm not in the future in my mind I'm not remembering right. anything I'm just here and that takes practice which is so interesting it's like it's it feels like it should be the default but we're, we've practiced our way out of it so much especially in this culture to never actually be right where we are we're always just like a toe out of the present moment or a toe in a dream or a memory yeah well I, so I had this really uh, interesting revelation last November which was that um, and I think it's Richard Rohr who says this. He sums it up best. He says something along the lines of like, you can't think yourself into new ways of feeling, but you can feel your way into new types of thinking or something mm. like that. And I realized that like when it came to meditation and mindfulness and, and things like that, I was trying to think my way there. I was like, right. okay, if I just like think hard enough to clear my mind. Yeah, read enough books on it. Yeah. <laughs> if I can right. think hard enough that my mind stops thinking... Then I'm there and like, I, and then I am out of my body, like right. divorced from it. And then that's like presence and stillness. And it's like, no, it's the, it's the exact opposite. It is being fully in your body. And like meditation as a practice really helps you know what it feels like to just be in your body and feel the breath and things like that. But that was like a huge turning point for me. And I actually was able to like put it into practice that weekend because we were doing these cold plunges and they were it was fucking cold it was like 40 degrees outside this water was freezing it's november in washington Mm -hmm. and i had that first sort of click in terms of like what embodiment is because in that i also realized i was like i'm trying to think myself into like i'm trying to mind over matter this situation and be like this isn't cold this isn't cold and actually the way that you do it and don't freak out is you just feel how cold it actually is and accept it and if you can do that then yeah you, you calm your sort of animal brain that's like run <laughs> freeze to death what are you doing right. um, and that was a huge that was a huge click for me where i was like oh wow i need to start cultivating more embodiment i need mm-hmm. to be in my body more because that is a way to sort of like intuit your way through the world and feel your way through the world as opposed to be being so heady about everything and like western society is really not set up for that it's not set up for <laughs> for that like it just it doesn't would definitely doesn't set yourself set you up as a person to experience that and live that so it can be a hard thing to cultivate but um yeah i'm curious what you're sort of like hearing you expand a little bit more on just like meditation and that relationship between yeah embodiment and being in the present moment and like how that all kind of comes together for you yeah I think initially in my practice I wanted out of right I didn't want to feel it so I did think I was very much like sitting and meditating but like I loved it when I popped out and I was like up in the astral plane and I was like 
yeah, out of my body and like so expanded that I, I wasn't here almost right. cause that felt like freedom. And then as, and also cause I didn't then have to feel my feel, feel everything. Sure. And then as that felt safer somehow, I like in the past year it felt, feels like the practices like got come in, into the body through, um, yeah, it's really the, it, it feels like the key. Um, and now, and it was, yeah, it really did feel at first, like it was kind of like a neck up meditation was like from the neck up mm-hmm. and actually one of my teachers in, um, in one of the longer retreats, like called that out specifically and was like, this isn't, this isn't a mental practice. This is, you know, this is, we're meditating with our entire bodies. And I was so pissed at him in that moment. Cause I was like, like, I felt like he was asking me to do something that I was like came here to do the exact opposite of essentially. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, for the past couple of years, it's like been sit. Yeah. It is sitting with the feelings. Just, I was just meditating before sitting down with you guys and like had a little bit of, um, like nerves in my stomach and just asked the nerves, like, what are you here to say? What are you here to show me? And they were like, I'm worried you're not going to know what to say. And I, just sitting there, I was like, oh, beautiful. Like that, that's an old, that's an old voice that I know mm-hmm. very well. She comes up often and to be able to sit with that feeling and be like, okay, I hear you. Like, we're just going to, we're going to do it anyways. Okay. And then. Yeah. And sort of thanking them in a way for being like, I know you're just trying to protect trying to, me. Yeah, you're trying to make me safe in this yeah. situation. Sort of like an inner child situation where you're, I, at least that's how I view it for myself a lot when I'm like apprehensive about something i'm scared about something i'm like lashing out in a way i'm like what is that and it's like oh it's my it's something in my shadow and you what's behind the shadow is a scared child who was traumatized by something who is now trying to make sure that we don't relive that and i can just acknowledge it and be like thank you i'm an adult and i don't need you to protect me like we're gonna be it's gonna be fine Totally. And with emotions specifically, it's like, I've been noticing that if they come through and have the time and the space to have a clear delivery and it's heard, then they just continue on. But if they don't have the time and space to deliver their message, then they swirl and they go in Mm. through the back door and then they like loop back around and they're like, I'll you know, they'll do whatever they can to deliver it. It's like it needs to be comforted in a way and let like for you to know, like, I hear you and like, I will protect you. Totally. You don't need to protect me. Yeah. And then we just got to sit together and then I got to actually feel, what does it feel like in my body to feel a little nervous? And like, Ooh, it's kind of nice. Actually. There's like some energy moving in my stomach. Mm -hmm. Like I feel alive. There's tingling in the hands and to like really sit in the embodied experience of nervousness without it having this, like a negative positive or negative charge. Mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's the beauty of, yeah, being practicing, being embodied and also practicing deep listening. Um, yeah. <laughs> nice. I feel that I, I, I feel like often before doing these podcasts, maybe not so much doing this one all the time, because I think, I think Andrew, you gave me, you gave me maybe some like comfort in this because I feel like we're doing it together and it's not just like solely relied upon me mm-hmm. to, right. to run this thing. But I think often, you know, cruising a podcast, I just try to get into this space now of like, 
what do I want to get out of this experience? Mm -hmm. Like, what am I, why am I asking this person to turn these microphones on with me and, and talk to me about this thing? And that always seems to be helpful as well as just like being grateful. Like, yeah, you you get to do this thing with this person, you know, they're like taking the time to do it. It's not something either of you have to do, you know, and you're just coming together to to see what happens and what do you want to get out of this podcast oh man i i just you know i think that um uh, obviously want to i want to learn you know something i want to i want to have some some takeaways from this experience i think mostly i was just super stoked to you know get to get to hang with you it's been a little while mm-hmm. since i've gotten the sit down with you i think that uh i've had some pretty uh i think about that that joshua tree trip a lot that Mm. we we all took together and you and you started us on this this meditation as we slipped into some some psilocybin our sponsor (laughs) for this and that was a like really powerful thing like mm-hmm. that whole experience was very powerful because I've never I've never done it that way mm-hmm. where there's you know I've done it with a lot of intent but there was something about doing that meditation together to kick it off that made me feel like it was just this fluid thing mm. where four hours later I was just like but wait we were just we were just meditating <laughs> right. like what happened you know right I'm here to be filled with some of your your powerful spirit Liv. oh yeah. yeah, I remember that trip at one point, Liv, you were just like standing in the middle of the, because de- we were in the middle of nowhere in the desert, and you're standing in the middle of the desert, just arms wide oh, yeah. open, head up towards the sun, just receiving for like an hour, just full on, and I was just like, oh man, she's she's doing it. Uh, yeah, that um, or like, I was just like, man, she she knows something, there's a, there's a secret, and, and she's tapped into it. Um yeah. I had 14 arms at that moment. Oh, like I when my that, yeah, yeah, when my arms were out there like <sighs> Whoa. Just like yeah, receiving Some and communicating like, with yeah, the Yeah, Shiva stuff. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I remember I had a full on like I didn't even think I was I thought I was like pretty much on on a heavy downswing, which I at that point it had been a long day, so I, it was welcomed for me. I was like, "Okay, let's let's pop out of this. Let's be uh, let's be done." And then, like right after I had that thought, I had a I saw a full on vision in the sky mm. of like this this being inside of a cloud. And I at first I was kind of freaked out, and then it just was like, yeah, it just was so loving and welcoming, and was like very reassuring that it was just like everything is what it is and it's all like just accept it and behind all of it is love so mm. it's, it's fine um sounds a crazy way to end that day for me or that that experience because <laughs> i thought i was all done and then i was like <laughs> one last message yeah, yeah um yeah for me i feel like this podcast is so fun for me to be able to uh express out loud things that I think about all the time mm-hmm. and I catch myself in this podcast I have to always like say sometimes on the mic just for people listening so that they know like most of the time if I'm ever sounding like preachy I'm talking to myself I'm telling myself like 
stop that bullshit and like you know be more mindful about this and like don't forget about that and like um and that's extremely cathartic for me to sort of sit and ponder about my life and you know i feel like i've in doing some inventory this last year i feel like i've noticed this huge trend in my adult life and it's really reflected in my songwriting about like always trying to be better, hmm. which it's good. You know, like we should be on some level trying to be better than we were yesterday. I don't think that that's a harmful thing, but it can be really harmful if you put too much focus on it. It's just like super crippling and then you end up getting nowhere. And so to your point of with meditation of being like, how about we start with just accepting like the first step would be accepting where you're at right now. I often find myself getting so caught up in where I wish I was, which is not reality. I may or may not ever get there. It's just not the current reality, though. So if we are ever going to get there, then it starts with accepting who am I right now? Who it like who? Yeah. How does that feel? And then let's navigate from there one step at a time. Um, And that's not to say, like, don't, you know, have big goals or dreams for yourself, but yeah, on some level, maybe it sort of is. I mean, for myself, I feel like that's something that I have sort of come to terms with in the last year or so of like, maybe I need to do less of that. Mm. I need to do less of the sort of like the future tripping on who I am. And then because then I I feel guilty all day for being mm. not that. And what a silly game to play with yourself because it's like, you, you, okay, you're not that. It's fine. You are who you are. Like, just love that. And then you would be fine. You're torturing yourself right now. Why are you doing this? Um, so that's a that's a fun fun trip that I come in and out of pretty often. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's interesting having these conversations out loud too, and so cool that you guys have been doing this every week because it's it is things that it's they're hard things to speak about, mostly because it doesn't live like we we're saying the the experience of being alive doesn't live in words or through mm-hmm. like the yeah through the mental plane but then synthesizing the experience through words is also how we connect about it so right. practicing <laughs> getting to practice this every week must be well i'm curious like have has it gotten easier to speak about yeah uh, maybe i think so yeah, what about, I, I guess I'm more curious for you, Andrew, just because I feel like I've been pretty transparent over the last five years of doing podcasting and not been too scared to, like, voice my feelings about sure. things. So, like, I don't know if my, if it's gotten more comfortable in that sense. I, like, yeah. feel pretty comfortable, I guess. I mean, <laughs> if you listen to the first episode of this podcast... I you went for it. I went for it and and I've <laughs> continued to do so and part of that was like um I am comfortable with being vulnerable. In some ways I think it's almost like a def- sometimes it can be a defense mechanism of like it's like a weird uh it's like a weird like twitch almost where I, if I feel uncomfortable then I'm just like I'll just say the thing that you like no one would expect me to say because it's way too personal and like a huge overshare. Um, So there's that. It's not something I really struggle with, but I did. I wanted to be mindful with this podcast. I was like, yeah, I think it would be helpful for me, not even for anyone else, but just for me and what I'm trying to get out of it. 
if I didn't really hold back and if I just mm-hmm. was like willing to be vulnerable and just say what it is and not speak in like codes and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I think my, my thing still with all of it is just trying to get better at listening every week, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is a big part of your meditation practice and, and everything you have going on. It's like that, that's something that is a constant just constantly trying to figure out how to be a better listener and not get too caught up in trying to figure out how to guide the conversation from Mm -hmm. here, you know? So yeah. Full bodied listening is something that I've been playing with a lot, like meeting, meeting a person or a conversation with my, just with my body and like dropping down as much as humanly possible out of my mind, just into the body and feeling like feeling their words go in through, like through this entire experience of the body. Um, and then seeing like how that lands differently. Hmm. Interesting. What do you feel like that does for your conversations? Like how does it land differently? I feel like I can pick up better like the conversations that our our bodies are having with each other always. Mm-hmm. So there's like, it feels like there's like multiple dialogue streams somehow. I feel just even like right now, like really tuning into that. I'm just aware of my, like my full body sensations and like the, just like the energy that's pinging back and forth mm-hmm. in the room right now. <laughs> yeah. So it, sure. Yeah. And it also makes it like the, the, the substance of the words less important, but more like the intent behind them, the right. feeling behind mm. them. It's like right. that goes in differently than like, am I artic- are we articulating right? It's like it kind of passes that and just. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moves into more of a feeling tone. Yeah. Did you, do you feel like after you started getting more keyed in with the meditation stuff that that changed your psychedelic experiences quite a bit? I had to stop. Yeah. I actually, yeah. I mean, I didn't have to stop, but I chose to stop. So yeah, it really did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, they just got more and more and more intense. Right. And then. I decided, yeah, the, the experience of what I was experiencing in meditation was just as much or more psychedelic than the psychedelics themselves. And I found that I was integrating it simultaneously. So there wasn't these like Mm. huge peaks and valleys of understanding and then like falling from grace and then like picking up the pieces of like, "Ah," and trying to like fit them back into what was that? Yeah. That's interesting. I do think that ultimately, like, yeah, psychedelics are a great shortcut to some kind of wild God experience, but it can be really hard to integrate because you basically teleport to the moon and then skydive back down and you're like, I can, (laughs) it's hard to remember what the earth looked like from the moon now because it was just, it happened so fast and whatever. Um, So I think it's cool that you can like now sort of tap into that you know, release the shortcut, tap into it in a, in a natural way. And then, um, yeah, be able to like pull tease more out of it Mm -hmm. because of, yeah. And I, I take it back. I have had a couple that just like much, 
milder experiences than what I was doing before. Right. Yeah. Um, for sure. I think I've, I've, I've grown, uh, grown fonder of those, uh, more low key doses of things now. Isn't it, is it Ramdas that talks about like once you've gone in and experienced something like that and you've learned like what you need to learn to, that it's not super necessary to go back. Is it him that, yeah, once, maybe it's once you get the people, call, hang up the phone. Yeah, once, yeah. once yeah, you yeah. receive the message, hang up the phone. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, uh, and I, I think that that's part of my personal path too. Is like about learning to be more in balance of like my super highs and my super super lows. I was someone who like would just go, you know, complete. And a lot of the moments where you saw me with intense worship music on is like. Every, you know everything makes sense I'm like, I get it. <laughs> yeah. and then I would come crashing down and like yeah so learning how to like modulate myself um and still still feel that those bursts of connection and the, the depths but have it I don't know have the scales be a little bit more manageable so I can live <laughs> right maybe not completely all-consuming um, which for me, I'm on, I'm on the opposite end where like I have highs and lows as well, but the ones that consume me are, are the lows. Mm-hmm. And that's when I feel like, yeah, I just like, it's the complete opposite where I'm like, nothing makes sense. Well, I, that's the, that's the thing. That's what I mean. The opposite of everything makes sense is absolutely nothing right, makes right. sense. Yeah. And so, I don't know why I feel this way. And like, I completely yeah. forgot why this was such a special experience here on earth. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Just like yeah. not feeling it, not feeling it today. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. then when you have a lo- a long string of days like that, it can be pretty, pretty disorienting as well. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that was a big part of, uh, that grocery store moment that i had as far as having like some some Mm -hmm. deep deep anxiety it was this night that i was riding super high like just everything was beautiful that night and then coming down from that and going home and just uh realizing all the other pieces weren't in place somehow i guess Mm -hmm. and it was just like an extreme low that lasted weeks Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. like existing in this weird fuzz that just like didn't feel right every day mm-hmm. um yeah it's hard it's hard to navigate and find find the balance between those those highs and lows especially when you feel like you're a very emotional person mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and yeah learning to i feel like somehow be able to hold them both or like have the faith that will swing back the other way and something that i've been playing with when I because at this point too I'm not I don't think that that's not going to happen anymore so before I was always like when I would get back up high I'd be like I've solved it I live here now never crash again yeah that like I've 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 done it and then I would feel myself slipping down and being like no right And, and and so now when I am in those lower states when there's more of a chance that I can like remember that it that it will change it will shift and knowing that there are only these gems of insight of like deep compassion of uh of getting to know myself in these lower states that i i can't access when i'm really high right like we were talking about before in terms of like trying to do shadow work yeah um yeah when you're full of joy and elation that's not really 
the appropriate moment and it's just it's going to be very hard to tap into that i do think just in terms of like yeah from a seasonal perspective and from you know the light and darkness of being i've come to appreciate those lower moments as well and i've realized that like what makes them really sad and really low and last for a long time is the torture that I do to myself of like, why are you here mm-hmm. and and how are you going to get out instead of just sort of like what you were talking about before in terms of listening to your emotions mm-hmm. so that they stop having so much like swirling power inside of you, mm-hmm. like acknowledging them and hearing them out is, yeah, it's, it's huge. And if I, I feel like when I can do that and hold this like deep truth of like it's all temporary mm-hmm. and that means this too um yeah it makes it it opens me up to like well what can i learn from this then now that i'm here yep. and i'm not going to be here forever so like let's try to let's try to get something from it yes yeah man those moments those are the moments that cause you or like inspire you to seek something bigger than those emotions that you're feeling at mm-hmm. that time yeah, and I feel like they, it, it, it gains, it's an opportunity to like really instill a different type of trust in, I'll just speak for myself personally, a, a deeper trust in myself, knowing that I, I know how to self-soothe in those moments. I know that I won't abandon myself in those moments. I know that if what I like to ask, what do you need? And sometimes it's like, I need to lay under the covers. Right. With ice cream or whatever it is. And then being like, okay, I can give that to myself. Right. And not feel feel guilty about it. Because then that goes back to torturing yourself for trying to take care of yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Um, So as someone who's had like sort of a a deep and sustained meditation practice, which is, um, you know, I think something that a lot of people know that they can benefit from and are sort of like but how do I do it? Do you have any like advice or words of wisdom for someone who wants to like start a meditation practice? Mm, Yeah, I would, I would say to start small and start with something that interests you. So I think a lot of people think you have to just like sit and follow your breath. And like, for me, I, I hated following my breath at the beginning. I love, I'm a visual. So I wanted to like focus my attention on the visual field and like, let that be my anchor. So we have all of these beautiful senses. So I would say picking a sense that most delights you, if it's sound, like sitting and just fully absorbing yourself in sound, if it's sight for you, like picking an object that you love to look at and, and practice focusing your mind on that for two minutes. Or if you love, if you're tactile, like feeling your pants, like getting a really beautiful blanket and like stroking a blanket and letting mm-hmm. everything go to that sense. So I, I think finding a thing that delights you as your entry point in, and it does, it's not about being rigid and like strict and doing it by this one way, but I would say finding your own unique entry point in that is fun for you and that like makes you excited so you'll sit with it Mm -hmm. nice yeah what point did you feel comfortable enough through your meditation practices that you wanted to like that you felt inspired to lead meditation and and things Mm -hmm. like that yeah i think that was um i think when it when it felt embodied enough that it was my own language 
It was my own personal experience. I wasn't like trying to remember a teaching and then share that. Mm. So it took a long time. I think, you know, I've been doing this practice for consistently for like five years, but longer than that prior. Um, and didn't f- never shared really anything other than with my friends, nothing really outwardly. And there came a, a point where I felt like my cup was overflowing to gain so much from this practice that it, f- it was just like the natural next step. And it felt, um, true. Like I, I the f- there wasn't a feeling of imposter syndrome or, um, it was mostly just like a little nervous to like, I started sharing it specifically on Instagram live during the start of the pandemic. So that felt scary. The like, ah, people are looking at me, but I wasn't, it wasn't a feeling of like, I don't quite know what I'm talking about. Um, and I think that's the only way that it would have, that, that was the, that was the time for me when it could be in my own words and through my own actual lived experience. And I, and in that way it, it felt, just very natural for sure. Like you weren't doing anything different than you normally would do if you weren't, you know, exactly putting on this display for others. Yeah. And I think I also had to really like, um, let myself cause I, most of my meditation experience and like training has been through Zen Buddhism, which is very, it's incredible, but it's incredibly like, um, like the teachers there to get to a point where you're, and I don't call myself a teacher, I just share, but the teachers there, like they are teachers because they have been doing this 24 seven essentially for like 35 years. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh my God, if that's the standard of when I could like open my mouth and share something, like I, that feels really paralyzing. So I think also knowing that I'm not teaching Zen Buddhism to people, I'm just sharing my own lived experience of meditation that kind of shift helped, um, yeah, help me be able to, to, sh- to share it, um, without being like, Oh, am I doing this wrong? Am I representing something that I don't quite know mm-hmm. through this lineage or, um, so I see myself a little bit as like a, a bridge, like a middle kind of bridge between this beautiful world of Zen Buddhism and then also but self-love just embodiment my own personal life. Yeah. Um, um, talk to us a little bit about these, like, and obviously not in in the detail of sharing other people's whatever, but like these sacred self-love sessions that mm. you do with people and sort of like what what's behind that? Yeah. So um, I'm a photographer and I offer sessions called sacred self-love sessions and they're um, intentional portrait sessions designed for the person to explore themselves through photography. So we set up the location, um, the clothing, the experience to really facilitate an experience where they can just be fully embodied and, and go on a journey of self through mm-hmm. expression. And then through this practice of them being witnessed and seen and photographed, um, and yeah, that was really born from wanting to, like I had been doing photography for about seven years or so. And then this, you know, the internal work of that I had been doing felt so important and mm-hmm. like a key aspect and, and photography was starting to feel, I wanted to embed the, the internal work with the external kind of nature of having your photo taken. Mm-hmm. So playing with, um, yeah, creating a photo session that feels ceremonial, 
that feels really intentional. Like you said, the experience that you had in Joshua Tree with the psilocybin was different because we sat and, and meditated and like opened the space really like intentionally. So adding that to a photo session. So we, yeah, we sit in ceremony together first and meditate and um, call in their guides, open dialogue with themselves and then begin this photo session of just being seen and being embodied and they yeah they're just like such magnificent journeys people get to see get to see how beautiful they are they get to push up against the their insecurities they Mm -hmm. get to um yeah just be really I think free in their bodies and then see themselves in kind of their most natural state. So that's a little glimpse into them. And then you get this unique experience with each one of those. It's a dream. Yes. I learned so much from everyone and yeah, they, they were a session that they are still a session that I want to have. That was another part of it. It's like creating an experience that I would love to experience. Um, and I get to experience it also every time through being, bearing witness to people. Yeah. I remember yeah. you telling me, I think it was when you and I did my podcast mm-hmm. a couple of years ago and just one of the things that, you know, intrigued you about photography was just being able to, that we don't get to see ourselves mm-hmm. very often, mm-hmm. you know? So I. I don't know. I, I think about that very often. I was just, I was just talking about that a couple of days ago of just how cool photography is. in in that sense, because we only do get to see ourselves as this mirror image. Everything else is this point of view. Yes. Which is, I don't know. I, it, that never, uh, that never struck me that way until you, until you said it that day. And I was just like, whoa, we don't ever like really see ourselves unless you're looking at yourself in the mirror. Right. And then it's flipped. Yeah, you don't see how you're really operating. Yeah, I think it's it's really healing to, especially to see yourself when you're fully in the moment of something. Like I think that's probably most everyone's favorite photos of themselves are like when they're like laughing with a friend and someone captures it, or they're mm-hmm. like interacting with a baby or dancing at a festival. Those are always my favorite. Yeah, mm-hmm. so not, like it's not someone just telling you smile exactly to take this photo because yeah, you get to you get to see what your what your life force looks like right in the moment of it yeah i feel fortunate that like all my favorite photos of myself are definitely like me on stage playing guitar doing the thing you love yeah exactly being fully in the moment like Mm -hmm. yeah i'd never really like uh noticed that before though but that's so true all my favorite photos of myself are selfies (laughs) (laughs) well you have that amazing selfie stick so it makes sense And I'm glad that you've been using it. That's one of my favorite gifts I've ever given you. So you gave it to him? No, he doesn't. Oh. Have <laughs> <laughs> that must be really cool, though, for um, those people that you're doing those those sessions with that are really uncomfortable, maybe being on camera too. Yeah. And you just opening up this space where it's like, no, this is just gonna be super, super freeing, and you don't have to like worry about me and it's just this vulnerable experience yeah i think everyone is everyone is uncomfortable being in front of the camera essentially that's what i've learned as well everyone thinks that everyone else isn't and everyone is myself Mm -hmm. included Mm -hmm. 
So it's like, yeah, that's such a, it's very vulnerable. It's vulnerable to be seen in general, but then to have it like imprinted or like captured in that way, it feels, um, yeah, it's, it's scary. And so, yeah, it's, I think, I think that that's part of what the, um, the magic of the sessions is too, is like creating a really, really safe space where, especially in this day and age, we're already thinking about someone else viewing the photo as it's being taken. There's Mm -hmm. like this third party that we already assume is analyzing it, judging it, you know? And so taking that off the table, the sessions are just for, um, the person, they don't have to share them. They're not meant for that. Only if they want, I always, you know, say, I won't share them unless you give me the A-OK. So I think that's also like people knowing that the photos are just for them and they're not posing for anyone. For Mm -hmm. sure. And I would imagine a lot of that anxiety can be heightened in in like a photo shoot sense where you are the focal point of this thing. It's not like you're just asking people to smile and take pictures while you're cruising around a party while everybody's having a good time. It's just like, no, this is just you and I. (laughs) So, yeah. And in this day and age, it's so rare that someone would be taking specifically portraits for the, not for the reason to share them. That's sort of the society that we live in right now is like, do to do taking selfies to post them on Instagram or whatever. So, right. What's the uh, longest you've done a silent meditation retreat? Um, 10 days. Whoa. Yeah. What, what mm-hmm. was your biggest, I don't know if biggest takeaway is, is too broad or big of a question, but like what, what spoke to you about that experience particularly? Mm. That was, that was an interesting one. It was over. So I, I lived at the monastery that I practiced at for a little over a month. So there were three different, um, there were three different long retreats like that, seven two seven days and one 10 day within that time frame. So I just, from the moment I arrived, felt just this like, like the image that comes to mind is a pond that's been like with a lot of silt that's been really stirred up. That's how I came in. And so you can't really see through anything. It's like mm, really, mm-hmm. really murky. And then as it got settles, some dirty lenses. Got some, yeah, it's settling, it's settling. And then there's like a crystal clear pond and you can start to see the fish flowing through and there's the mm. lily pads. So like just the, the experience of having my mind settle enough to actually experience the reality that's in front of me. So everything, I mean, it's, it feels very similar to psychedelics in the sense that everything is clear and hyper real hyper real and and when thoughts do pass through the mind you can see them for exactly what they are so it's like there's no when my mind's super chaotic and like a a thought that's maybe self-deprecating or mean comes through sometimes I can't even catch it it just like goes in and all of a sudden I feel bad but when I'm that clear it's like I see it and I can choose to believe it or not Mm -hmm. it's like you're not worthy and like okay i can choose to set it down yeah. and um weird flex in her child yeah. but <laughs> no thank you <laughs> you get to start becoming like more of the observer though absolutely of things as well as being present in them yes and the yeah connections felt so um just like 
just the word clear keeps coming through a lot of clarity. And there's also, I didn't have my phone just like even going on retreats just to step away from the phone completely is incredibly healing. And there's a detox period. There's a detox period of not thinking too, or, you know, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I really, I, I think that that whole experience of living there felt just so delightful because it felt, yeah, it felt like the, the mystic school that I always wanted to attend Mm -hmm. and, um, and then getting to be there with a bunch of other people whose all soul intentions were to, yeah, experience reality directly and be, be intimate and free. Yeah. And awake and awake. Yeah. Yeah. And just getting to be like grounded in this reality. This one. Yeah. Just, I don't know. We touched upon it a little bit, but I think it's easy. Like once you do start exploring these other realms or psychedelics or meditation, there is like that feeling of wanting to exist in this other plane. And I don't know, finding the balance of like, yeah, but like this, this thing in front of us is really beautiful too. And we should try to figure out how to, uh, you know, achieve that same clarity in this world and that's i think that's what's so beautiful and intriguing to me about zen is that that is the ultimate like phase is the right word but state whatever you want to call it of enlightenment is just being right here it all loops around it's not about being on some esoteric other plane where you're it's just about being completely a hundred percent here on earth and in this body Um, yeah and accepting yeah, accepting things as they are. Um, something that I still think about often is when we had Ryan Sharp on and he said that he had spent so much of his life, you know, this is a dude in his 40s who used to be Christian. And he's like, I've spent so much of my life trying to figure out what the vaccine is for the human experience. Mm-hmm. Sort of what you were talking about when you're like, yeah, like, and a lot of us are doing that. We're all trying to like escape it. And then he was like, and then the freedom came when I realized, like, there is no vaccine for the human experience and there never will be. But that's beautiful and freeing in, in and of itself, because now it opens you up to the possibility of just being right here. Yeah. You know, um, so I think that's the cool. vaccine is to, to lean the fuck in. Actually. <laughs> that is the vaccine. And lay the fuck <laughs> off <laughs> each other. Um, so where would you say, you know, you're one of the I would say you are one of the. Um, most spiritual people that I know that, and that I have the pleasure of living life with um, and that you are yeah I mean you're just you are so um, awake and grounded and that's not to put you on like a pedestal but um, it's it is it's inspiring and like it's it's so wonderful that I get to live with you and, and experience your presence where would you say like where would you say you're at when it comes to God and and spirituality and mysticism and things like that. I mean, is that something that you still sort of like to pontificate on or are you more just focused on like a practice of like, yeah, cultivating this like inner stillness? Yeah, I I view them as very much the same. I think the difference for me is like the word devotion comes through. There's like um. Yeah. So there's a, there's the practice of being still and experiencing 
reality directly. Mm-hmm. And in that I meet God mm-hmm. and in that I, f- I am in love mm-hmm. and in that I, I experience this. Yeah. Just this, a love, a loving connection to absolutely everything. Right. And to me that, that is my like love affair with God. And, and in moments it does, f- I do love to personify it in certain ways, like mm-hmm. in conversations that I'm having with myself, I guess, but, or, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, an outpouring of, yeah, it's, it's more of just like a, a full hearted feeling when I am in that space of connection, I feel like I'm connected to all that is. So I'm, I'm not really interested in like philosophizing about God more, yeah, through the body, through the practice of presence, I meet love mm-hmm. which to me is god yeah and i meet people which i think are every i think everything is an expression of it so sure the, yeah the only way that i can actually connect with god is through this body and through presence and um yeah that's kind of where i'm at with it yeah well that's great <laughs> i think that's a wonderful answer and i think that um yeah i mean i think so much of especially like western christianity has we've lost some of the importance of like, well, I say we as if I'm, as if I speak for it and I'm as if I'm speaking for <laughs> even, all the American Christians. Even as if I'm a part of it, which n- neither are true. But I do feel like maybe just in Western civilization in general, like the practice element has been lost. Like we, we have put a, a huge value on the, on the philosophizing and um, the showing up on Sunday. Yeah, and it's sort of like, no, but what's your what's your personal practice and how are you connecting to it? How are you finding ways to do it? And yeah, maybe for someone it is through some type of like, you know, verbal whatever. But um, at the end of the day, I mean, I yeah, I feel like God is is so far outside of language and it's fun for me to like sit and talk about it. But at the end of the day, it's like you got to feel it. Right. You feel your way into it. I feel like it's it's similar to the the question that you asked about, like, what would you say to someone who's beginning meditation? And not that anyone is beginning their relationship with God, but I think just in the, we all have our unique access points in yep, right. that are unique to us as individuals. So I also like have such awe and ad- admiration for the different ways in which people worship or experience it mm-hmm. and i'm so curious like some for some people it's nature like mm-hmm. for some people it's deities and statues for some people it's you know direct experience for some people it's yeah rituals you know, ritual. and religious traditions and things like that it's, yeah yeah for sure only you know that energy yes that speaks to you inside so sometimes it's qfc sometimes it's qfc <laughs> you know but Sometimes it's KFC, <laughs> you know, and you're just like, you know what? I need a sandwich where the bread is two fried chicken breasts. <laughs> and that's who I am today. And this is where we meet God. That's exactly it. <laughs> and if that's you and you're listening, you know, Godspeed. God bless you. God, God bless is, you and Godspeed. God is love and he might be in that chicken sandwich if, if that's where you place him that day. Yeah. Or then. Whatever. It's right. it's all it's all love. That is right. God is love is a good message. It's hard to argue with that one. Yeah, yeah there's really nothing to argue with. <laughs> um 
Sweet. Well, thank you so much for for lending your voice and uh, your heart and your spirit to this conversation. It's really this is a really fun one. So, yeah, thank you you, you definitely are like a a very beautiful soul, Liv. Mm-hmm. You, it's hard to not be uplifted. I feel like being in your in your presence for sure. Thank you guys so much. This was so fun, and I couldn't love you both more. I love that this gets to just be done in our living room and just three friends pinging Ping, <laughs> hanging ping, out ping, for ping. sure <laughs> experiencing god's love um, right here yeah we will put links to Liv's instagram and website in the episode notes so if you're interested in photography related things or a sacred self-love session or mm. meditation or whatever Thanks, then live is your is your go-to gal yeah and i do want to start doing the sacred self-love sessions with men too so that door's open just saying sweet Awesome. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a personal invitation for both of you two. <laughs> I'm signing Dan up <laughs> right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been gifted to me. Yeah. <laughs> Happy birthday, Dan. You know, I'd uh, I'd encourage everybody out there to to smoke, pray, love if you're not participating in a in a sober October. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there's no weed on this in these Light, episodes of. Of Bible Buds this month. We're just drinking tea today. This is wow. our first completely dead sober episode. You could probably tell. Oh my God, I feel honored. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were the perfect guest for it, honestly, um, in my opinion. So, yeah. But, yeah, smoke, pray, love. Um, maybe, you know, just take care of yourselves out there. Like, maybe don't watch the debates if uh, that's not calling you. That was some triggering shit. So if you're feeling fucked up from that, like you're not alone. <laughs> it was even I just mostly watched clips and I was like, I'm going to fucking flush my phone down the toilet. I don't know. Yeah. Out. Try to have an opposite uh, so approach take, to it. You know? Everyone take care of themselves. Do what you need to do. Um, these are crazy times. I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling a little bit crazy leading up to the election. Mm-hmm. A pandemic still happening. All of this, all of this stuff that's going on in in our world and in our country, it's very overwhelming. So, just love each other and take care of yourself and take care of your neighbors and and bless up. You know, yeah. and once you do that, you bless up. You bless up, and it's an incredibly difficult thing to do. But if you if you need some some help out there, you need some love. You know, don't be try not to be afraid to reach out to people. I know that that can. Uh, feel like you're being an additional burden to people but uh we need people we need each other we need each other hey you could even send us an email (laughs) you could send us an email you know if you need to if you want to send us an email about how great live is you let us know we already know but we can always you know yeah use more of it more won't hurt so thank you so much Liv. thank you we love you you're so great and uh yeah bless up everybody my microphone just keeps <laughs> yeah. doing the dive still trying to dial this thing in you know yeah yeah bless up and uh we'll catch you on the next one and vote and don't be a racist oh, vote, 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 vote don't vote, be vote, a racist vote. bless up hey <laughs>